Then let's forget what we should have done earlier and continue with what we should do now. How are you doing, dude? Yeah, oh, you know, you uh, it's been today? it's been all right. Uh, kind of getting back to Zen ever since the rowdiness of last weekend, and I'm sure by comparison, you're uh, you've got quite a bit more Zen to try to come back to. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The rowdiness, uh, I uh, I feel like I reset from that pretty easily. It's more the coming back and, like, not having anything to do has been weird. Um, not like I was doing anything important in the past. It's more that, I, and I think we'll get into that a little bit in this episode, which I think we could tell people uh, is going to be a little different this time. Yeah, around. we're not going to do a watch-along this month. We decided uh, we want to try something different, and uh, this will be a good template for the future because down the line, especially if we ever get a Patreon, we might start doing one of these reviews every uh, once a month as well as the watch-along, depending on if we have enough people who are interested in that, and then just start doing basically four things a month, you know, one I think every week. Right, right. But this will be our first test run of a review, and we are reviewing one of the greatest uh, art pieces, I'd say, of 2021, more than a stand-up special, which is Bo Burnham's Inside. Yeah, uh, I honestly, and I think it's because I am a little bit, I, I, I'm just far too irony poisoned in a lot of ways, in a bad way. I don't think that it's a good thing to be so ironic, like ironically detached from the world. Um, and so I came into this thinking, no, it's going to be, you know, just more commodified bullshit. kind of shit. Yeah, you know. It's literally just that meme of the smiley face with the slanty eye roll, you know, the, right, that exactly. whatever that classic emoji face is. Yes. And, uh, you know, I get... Um, I see a lot of this when I used to be on Twitter. Uh, I saw a lot more of this is people just like coming down on good, good intentioned um, and not just good intention, but like decently analyzed takes and 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 content um, and thinking like, oh, that's cringe. So I hate it, even if it is like along the same lines of the uh, of the struggle that you, you know, supposedly are a part of. And I mean, being online isn't part of any struggle. I mean, it's a personal struggle to keep yourself sane, I guess. But it's not. It's not about being. Posting isn't praxis. Yeah, it's not. Gonna, you're not going to change the world by just being a shit poster online, even if right. you have good intentions. And so, um, posting cringe is not praxis either. But like getting upset about people posting cringe is somehow even stupider. Yeah, it's. Well, I mean, at that point, you're taking taking the discussion of accomplishing nothing nothing to the next level of nothing accomplishment. Yes. So, but yeah, like uh, like Kyle was saying, uh, inside, uh, and part of the reason I recommended it to him is far from that, despite the fact that you might, because he's kind of because he's a well-to-do white guy who's uh, at this point a triple threat in the media industry: actor, director, and writer. You know, he it seems he seems like he might be the kind of guy to have a pretty less than hot takes. Uh, inside is definitely a, not that. It is very much on the ball in terms of the perspectives that people of his uh, station should have, I think. And he does a remarkable job of capturing just the general feeling of being a millennial in this day and age. Yeah, somebody who's so detached from reality, but um, attached to our reflections of reality through 
Twitter and the internet and things that you can get a little bit of everything all of the time and never understand any of it. Apathy's a tragedy and boredom is a crime. Anything and everything all of the time. Oh, we should go ahead and mention, uh, I'm Phil. Oh, and I'm Kyle. And we are the Unsociablists. And welcome to our first episode of Unsociablist Reviews. I'm going to get my popcorn, I'm going to sit down in this lovely little chair, um, and I've already watched the movie, so this is superfluous. Yeah, at this point, you're not just, just going to have to eat a big bunch of popcorn while you talk to me, and that's going to be really make for bad audio, man. Right, you know popcorn's like one of the worst things on mic. What were you thinking? I was not. <laughs> anyway, we could obviously go through inside blow by blow, but I think we'll more try to analyze it more as it, an entire art piece and uh, let and it, it encourage the viewer to actually go watch the uh, uh, entire experience on their own Yeah. at the end. I, I, of course, so Phil's watched this, uh, what, like three, three times? times? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good It's a good show. Honestly, it comes at you quite fast. Um, so yeah, I no, the first time, the first time I didn't it. absorb everything at all, so I'm no, glad I watched it at least a second. No, I had to pause it once or twice and think about what I had seen, because I, w- I took not copious notes, but like a page and a half of notes, because, you know, there's just a lot that he's putting in there and a lot that... You know, it's self-referential in ways that I can respect as, like, an editor because you can tell he actually edited this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he didn't just uh, throw it together. Right. He definitely had people at the end who, I mean, I watched the credits to see if he actually did, like, all of the stuff. Somebody did the color, uh, not the lighting design, which he, of course, did, which is insane. Um, But Like, 90% of it was him, but... Yeah, other than, like, the online editing and dropping it off at Netflix and maybe doing some uh, cleanup and work at the very end, which is very important, obviously. But, like, you know, uh, this is, I think, um, unique among things that you see on, like, Netflix, things that you see on – things that you see made with the budget these days. Yeah, one of those uh, YouTube stand-up shows, definitely very different than that. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think that it's incredibly interesting because it is a single person who's devoted to a bit, and that bit is being inside, creating a special, coming back from a context that I think we should get into right now, is that he was coming out of – a five-year-long hiatus. Yeah, the last Bo Burnham special, Make Happy. While it was very, well, honestly, I, I mean, I think Inside is a better art piece, but I enjoyed Make Happy more in terms of personal viewing. It was yeah, it's totally excellent different. top-tier like stand-up comedy, but it was a very different, completely different vibe. Yeah, and it's totally, a, yeah, a totally different medium that he's working with here. It's something that's much more, um, yeah, it's the opposite of having a stadium of people. It's the opposite of having a um, call and response type thing it's him sitting in his personal space and uh, and yeah, this one room that he's just uh taking a bunch of different shots from right and i think that it's like i was saying earlier it's unique among things that are is that are produced you know premier media that's produced now because it is one man's vision it's not creative by committee it's not focus tested it's not all that bullshit that you see in marvel movies or in you know the other netflix specials that come out that are like you know, 20 uh, small-time comedians who just have, like, a tight five, and they string them all together, and they see who sticks, and then they give it to the next guy, you know. Yeah, I mean, and even Make Happy, his last special, like, he, that was the one that he, the one that ended up on Netflix was, like, the seventh or eighth tweak of it after he had shown it to a few audiences. Absolutely, yeah. This is something that he sat with, and I, uh, I find it incredibly interesting whenever he pulls away 
um, and you see him editing. I, oh, yeah, I wrote down little... in my notes. I wrote down. Uh, where is it? There's a point uh, around 24 minutes, around 25 minutes, where he's just staring at um, the last scene that he had. Sh- oh yeah, right after uh, White Women's, Women's Instagram. Yep. Yeah, White Woman's Instagram. He's staring at the screen that he's uh, he's watching it back, and just that vibe of like watching the same thing fucking over and over and over again and becoming less and less happy with it is exactly what um i mean i do all the time as yeah as a non-editor i didn't compl- i didn't uh i still re- uh, understood the scene but like i can i can just imagine how hard that would hit specifically someone who's done that creative shit before like kyle does yeah it's um i think that the interesting part about this beyond the fact that i think there's some good political uh analysis and content that comes with it is that it is entirely a piece of work that a, a treatment on somebody's individual context and how they are trying to find meaning in a world that has propped him up you know he's got money he's got a relatively comfortable life he's been able to pr- produce this I assume yeah, he's not, mostly I mean, he's on his no, own. Uh, Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the special, that'll be funny. But um, God, that shit's hilarious. This is random cut. You did it. Just a couple, two random cut-ins with <laughs> him doing the Jeffrey Bezos synth rock opera. God, I fucking love that. <laughs> Fuck their wives, drink their blood. Come on, Jeffrey, get him. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, uh, he's definitely not that level of rich. But he's not gonna like. He's not wor- hurry worried about his next meal. That's for sure. So it's uh, it definitely. You, I mean, he's 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 very he's surprisingly class conscious for where he is. I'll put it that way. I have to wonder what the f- past five or the previous five years were for him because he had well, already. I mean, he, he wrote a movie. It. He uh, starred in a movie. He a different movie. Was Eighth Grade a movie? Yeah, not a TV show. Oh, I wouldn't know. No, he wrote a movie called Eighth Grade that was good but a little it was, it was definitely very like if you if uh hey remember uh the severity of teen drama and how it made you want to kill yourself in a different way you yeah. know still very dark and you know stuff but a uh, good movie and then he was starting a movie recently um and i'm blanking on the name of that movie i haven't seen it yet hmm. and he's but otherwise yeah he's he's back kind of been working on his own uh privately just kind of keeping to himself which he addresses in one of the last big numbers, a kind of big ray, like a big uh, club closer number that he does. And he does one of these usually at every show, but it was different for him to try to do it with no actual physical audience. Yeah, that was good. I have to think, like, what is he, because he, he does mention that he was focusing more on himself, more on figuring things out for himself. Promising Young Woman. That was the panic one. attacks. What was it? Promising Young Woman. That was the name of the movie he was in. That's Promising right. Young Woman. Gotcha. So, like, through those time, through those years or whatever, when he's writing, when he's working on acting instead, when he's doing something different, something away from where he's made his bones and what I assume he was very happy with for quite some time, what did he, what did he do? I mean, because I don't think that the person who made Make Happy, while I think he's, like, probably a nice guy or whatever, um, I don't think just like I was, you know, maybe I was a nice guy five years ago, but I don't yeah, have no, the twenty the 20, 24 year old Bo was very, he was a good guy, but he definitely didn't have the same kind of sociopolitical awareness that he has now. Right. What kind of journey did he take to, to get to, I mean, other than those two spot. movies, I don't know. He kind of dropped off the grid a lot. Like he it's was on Twitter, but I don't do Twitter. So yeah, d- Twitter's bad. 
But you can tell that he was on Twitter because of this, like through this thing. It's definitely it's, got yeah, a lot of that. That might be where he got the uh, news perspectives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, definitely, we encourage everyone to watch it. But I do think that uh, we should hone in on a couple of the major bits that I want to look at. So one that obviously I want to bring up is how the world works. I think that that is. I think that that should just be like everyone should try to go find the YouTube video of that and show it to everyone they know, just because it's such a, it's like the most easily digestible version of how fucked up things are I've ever seen. Yeah, he's honest. He's quick with it. Um, he, you know, it's not like trying to go too deep in this into things. This is following up um the earlier bit of like white guys who with intro, who have introspected, you know, and now I'm a good guy, but I still need to be the center of attention. Um, yep. so he's building on this idea that like he's he recognizes that like at least tongue in cheek that he is not the center of attention and not the important person in the room and that when uh he starts asking how the world works of his friend Sako a sock puppet which is just the sock on his hand the the sock pretty pretty quickly turns it back on him it's like why do you i wrote it down um why best... do you rich fucking white people have to view everything through the myopic lens of your own self actualization Absolutely. That is exactly what I was thinking. The myopic lens of your own self-actualization is like, it's so striking, not only, you know, to me, because I obviously like, this is again, coming from a context of a person who makes content for bullshit, you know, people who I, I have to dance and sing or whatever. I don't necessarily do it. I make other people do it in uh, my videos that I have to edit for. But a person who makes content recognizing that like what we're doing is not necessarily it's less social than we than we suggest think it is it's much more personal and self-gratifying it's kind of like a a play on that neo-puritanism of like liberals who are like yes i have the right opinions yeah, but I mean, but basically who are constantly asking the people around them to be educating them and tell them what their opinions are without actually doing the research themselves. I mean, it's also it's I think it's fair for people to ask questions. I don't think yeah. that is a problem. I do think that, yeah, I'm just trying to become a better person. Like, yeah, cool. But also, like, could you just take a back seat and listen? Mm. Um, That's an option. Yeah, you don't need to pipe up that you're trying to be a better person. Right, right. You're still the guy holding the sock puppet, which I think is the ultimate, ultimately like one of the better parts of that bit is that he. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, that that closing like thirty seconds is top-notch metaphor. He's still holding the sock. The sock might have as much. He he can have all the analysis. He can have all the right ideas, but his power is still attached to Bo Burnham's hand. You know, yeah. and I definitely did flat out crib a joke from there and a bit from last episode the <laughs> yes sir and was, but i mean I just, it was just too good to not put in it's there. a good one <laughs> so so go ahead and sue me Burn, and we make so much money on this podcast <laughs> yeah come at me <laughs> it is an absolutely brilliant analysis of just uh how like the, your white influencers fucking think like even if they are acting out of an attempt at leftism uh often more often than not it's a place of greed and self-interest right a place of Again, self-actualization, because right now, and I think that um, he gets more into it because he does turn his, he turns a little bit towards the internet and towards how atomized we kind of have become through the internet. Welcome to the internet. Not quite in those terms, but, you know, he's basically recognizing that people are so detached from each other and so divorced from communal 
perceptions of themselves that they see themselves only as a brand, only as a content producer that floats around in a uh, a fake world. And the real world is what we personally curate on Twitter, on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. The yeah, real world I mean... is the world that we we create the version of ourselves that we think we are. Yeah, and he has a he has a pretty good little rant about that while he's lying on the floor in a uh, clearly de- okay. And actually, we'll get back to this, but I want to say a clearly depressed state. I mean, he's acting in a clearly depressed state. Not to say I don't think he's felt those feelings before, but I do think a lot of the times we see him in those breakdown moments, they're more acted. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I want to get back to uh, the idea of. Uh, is performative anguish good or bad? But that's we'll come back to that. Um, yeah, like you, there's this rant he does while he's laying on the floor. That's just an absolute, a, a very poignant and somehow still awkward analysis of how fucked the internet has made society. Which he just then ends with, "I'm horny," and it's very funny. Mm. That like that's random jump of his thoughts. But yeah, I would say if if you ever ha- if you ever want to try to bring some quick radicalization concepts to uh, people in your life who aren't super leftistly co- uh, cognizant, just real quick pull up the YouTube video of how the world works. Yeah. I think that it's it, like Sako goes into it and does a decent, a really good job. I wonder how like effective it would be to somebody who's just like, oh, I remember this from six years ago. He plays the piano. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the person would actually, actually lift, listen to the words being said, and if they're the kind who's not the type to do that, then I mean, at that point, they're not going to get leftist ideas no matter what you do because right. the words are half of what these ideas are. They're very theory-based. <laughs> and I've said this like before in a few episodes, and I, I'm still coming to terms with exactly what I think. Not like my idiosyncratic, mostly just a syncretic uh, ideas about whether or not culture creates change. They're still changing, I guess. And not that it matters because the the idea is power relations, as as Sako finds out. But I I just wonder how much I can rely on media of this type, which does seem to encapsulate something and does seem to mean something. And I think that I've put maybe because of my context more meaning into it, or maybe I've taken a longer look at it because of that context. I don't know how much we can rely on people to look at something like that. And if it's not in their immediate, like, if they're not immediately materially connected to it, how much they're going to rely, uh, really, really see into it. But who knows? I mean, I figure it at least states all the concepts very, very, very it states all the essential concepts of, like, leftist theory in, a, in as concise a manner I've ever seen, for sure. Yeah, not a bad one. I, I, yeah, and again, but if they're like, not, yeah, if some people just aren't going to absorb it no matter what you do. Right, and it's not even like I don't want to be a dick about being like, oh, he's posted cringe or whatever, because obviously I think that's a stupid thing that people do. But I do wonder, like, like what the fuck am I? I mean, we're doing this. Uh, this is the extent, really, of what we do. Um, in a, in a sense, in a cultural uh change way, you know, maybe I, I'll give money to to homeless people but like that's the extent really of my praxis i don't do a whole lot so to 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 say that this is meaningless is obviously wrong should i give away my money no No. (laughs) uh that's yeah yeah that's i mean obviously uh, while sako well that is the most uh over the top the how the world works is the most over the top bit about uh leftist culture uh, ideas he definitely addresses uh the structural differences in being a straight white male in the society especially one with any kind of fame or notoriety um and a few other bits 
uh, like the one I just did reference, which is uh, him talking about healing the world with comedy. Clearly, that's going to fix everything. Yeah. And while the while being very tongue in cheek about the fact, like, yeah, he he's not doing shit, and he but he I think he's simultaneously still doing more than a lot of people because he has an eye on him. Yeah, and he has a space in which he can uh, do more, and I think that you know, in his context, again, this is something that fits his bill you know he still gets paid or whatever um and uh, so do we all right uh, we still all have to do this shit yeah uh, at least for a little I while think, i mean I, I do not consider it. bo burnham's net worth is like four million he's not an enemy of this enemy of the system you know he's not he he has the capacity to be a comrade and i think he'd give up his wealth if it came down to in a heartbeat if it came down to like the world changing you know yeah even if he's a good or a bad person like the ultimate thing is like it doesn't necessarily matter what one person does. Well, it, I shouldn't say that. It doesn't necessarily mean that the world's going to change without material uh, forces behind it. But to say that there is no place in material analysis for culture is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel like I feel like if nothing else, he, he this, this special, even at the worst of times, doesn't hurt the discourse. He, sometimes he's being kind of – sometimes he may not be contributing to it. One time I do think he did, does contribute to it that I wanted to touch on is uh, the little unpaid intern bit where he then watches yeah. himself, watching himself, watching himself. And by the end of it, he's like, my self-awareness of – my self-awareness doesn't fix – doesn't change the fact that I'm still, you know, a rich, straight, white guy. It uh, doesn't fix – you know, it doesn't change that. doesn't fix it. I'm, you know, garbage piece of human shit, you know, kind of gets into a depression cycle. I think that that's a good – a really good introspective bit too. Right, self-awareness does not absolve anybody of anything. I loved that. Yep, that was a uh, that was another good point to bring up. But uh, yeah, he's uh, there are times where he's definitely just kind of being silly and goofy and oh yeah, like, like I mean, and, hieroglyphic like, sexting. Internet. Love that. Oh yeah, yeah, hieroglyphic. Let's do it like uh, let, let's do it like the ancient Egyptians. Yep, <laughs> sexting uh, the sexting bit and uh, FaceTime with my mom, white women's Instagram. Those are fun and hilarious. silly and yeah. Those definitely are 30. That's another good one. It's like not really telling you anything, but definitely still very funny. Uh, I mean, and I get that. I wouldn't honestly, I don't think I'd like it as much if he was just trying to uh, uh, go full hard on leftist theory the whole time through without bringing any kind of levity into it. No, like being a leftist is not a personality. You should not try to only be one thing. I understand people's drive towards that, but it seems unlikely to work if you're going to be i, I don't know though because lennon kind of did that he just threw himself into exactly one thing um and he did a lot but who knows no, i mean being leftist can be a personality but it doesn't have to be I don't, i'm not going to judge Bo for it not being his personality right neither he saying, nor yeah, i, don't I, think I or i'm not sure i would have sat and watched all of inside if it was just very dry leftist content by the end of it <laughs> yeah probably not yeah um anyway yeah uh so yeah that so uh let's see here i covered uh how the world works, unpaid intern. What, uh, what other? Uh, welcome to the internet's good, but uh, it's kind of it, it, the, the message gets pretty. Other than the uh, the tagline, a little bit of everything all of the time, it gets pretty uh, pretty. It's more silly by the time that you get to the middle of it. Oh yeah, it's silly, but it, I I I do love it. Follows again in this um, trend uh, that he, he this through line in this whole thing is that. We are becoming more and more detached from each other, even though we supposedly have this e very powerful um, connective device in in the internet. Yeah, it's uh, he definitely covers the fact that the internet, if anything, separates us more by being so connect by connecting everything. 
Um, so yeah, uh, I honestly, and he does I honestly the, the amount of touching he does on the internet is actually because that's not the welcome to the internet is its own song, but he also touches on it a couple other times in the rants oh, yeah. that he does in between bits in between songs. And it should be noted the specials um almost ninety minutes, and essentially what it is is a like a dozen or so music videos with some snippets in between them. Yeah, I think it's like. Yeah, it, you don't call this a comedy special. I I wrote I wrote down. I think it's um this is less of a a special and more like a cinematic treatment again of like one guy's quest to find. I would call meaning. it the cinematic selfie. Huh. Is, I mean, he, I didn't come up with that term. I stole it from oh, a magazine article. But oh, gotcha. Well, I, I liked I, it. It's like this is a quest for a guy a, a guy's quest for meaning in a totally simulated and overstimulating and downwardly facing reality uh it's just one that you can recognize the struggles of this person who is effectively he's not middle class but he is he is a culture maker and one who is comfortable and one who allows who 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 has the free time and for this kind of anguish yeah he's a uh, he's definitely very aware of just how the situation has affected a lot of people and he, he puts that into very uh, blatant reality in a lot of the scenes that he does especially the ones where he mimics having the kind of breakdowns that i'm sure he and i, and I say i don't doubt he had those breakdowns himself in at certain points but those were i don't think those the ones he showed on camera were the well, authentic he was ones. having panic attacks on stage the, yeah like he's clearly he suffered, he's clearly um, felt these feelings yeah so that's why i don't and that's uh, so that, bring, that does bring me to the point i wanted to bring up do you think that him putting on the the performance of that anguish for the camera in those moments made it any less real. No, I think that there's something that you can do as a reflection. Uh, I mean, what do actors do? Is anything an actor does real? Uh, I think you could say yes, because they are referencing, if not points in their own life, points that they have been shown or acclimated to. I think that they ref that art in this sense um, even if you're reproducing a, a, a past feeling or uh, mimicking one that you don't, haven't actually felt, it still has that reflective, uh, symbolic meaning. So I don't think that, like, I think performative anguish in a way that is um, non, non-self-reflective, non... Uh, that, yeah, if you're, that just doing saying, it, if you're just doing it to show your range as an actor, that's different, but... Well, that's I cool. That I mean, like, I'm still – go for it. Like, show off your range and whatever. But, like, this is something that seems like it's coming from him, and maybe that is just good acting. But it, I think it's honestly a – again, me in my context seeing something that I've felt before. But it, it's – I think that the kind of anguish that – performative uh, feelings and performative guilt that we see from people – um, that is harmful is the stuff that essentially tries to absolve, absolve that is you true. And he, yeah, Bo Burnham makes it clear throughout the entire special. And well, he actually has this whole song about, are you going to hold me accountable? You know? Right. He makes it clear he does not want to be absolved of his sins just because he's felt bad for it. He, if anything, he seems to like wearing those chains around his neck. No, not like it. That's the wrong no, term. But it is he a seems part to, of you he at seems this to point. Uh, he seems to accept that wearing the chains around his neck, so to speak, is a uh, is something that's better for his character and growth. Yeah, it's something that you need to reckon with at the very least and not deny. 
Yeah, no, I will say I agree with you that uh, the performative anguish. I have no problem with it. I thought it. I thought it just helped helped us helped you connect with him and his uh, interpretation of the vision that he wanted to present to, through this piece of media. But uh, to play devil's advocate, Daniel did say it made kind of knowing that Bo's an actor made him feel kind of detached from those scenes and that made him feel unnecessary to him. I liked it. I don't know. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, I just figured I'd throw it. I just figured I'd offer that since I watched it with Daniel, that that was his two cents. Yeah, no, I respect that. I, uh, yeah, I just think I I came away with it. I don't know. I think that the sincerity of the rest of it kind of lends itself to the sincerity of those pieces. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like, when he's going, trying to talk about the, when he's, struggling to talk through the rant of uh him working through on that special for one year and then eventually just gets to i'm not well it uh it can recreate those feelings in yourself that we got almost all of us have probably had during this pandemic at some point you know because this has been a rough year for everyone yeah. it helps you re like reanalyze those emotions uh from a place that uh feels authentic even if he's putting on a show yeah the best shows are authentic yeah and I, say, I, I have no doubt, like I said earlier, I have no doubt that even if those weren't in the moment real emotions, he's felt those emotions at some point. Yes. There is, uh, before he gets to the end, there's that total dissociation song. The one oh, where yeah. he, uh, he, re- he references 20,000 years of this, seven more to go. Like, he's yeah. very, very blatant. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, in 2018 when they said 10 years, like, that's coming. Ten years of climate left. Yeah, that fun, that funny feeling definitely just it's 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 a very chill, mellow, campfirey type song about the things that in the world that are just <laughs> the most very depressing and fucked up shit. Robert Iger's face. I I wrote down. I was like, that's probably better than most of the songs that are about end of the world that you hear. Uh, that one is really good, actually. Yeah, no, I'd reckon. Yeah, that funny feeling. Honestly, I, even outside of watching the show three times, I've also listened to the soundtrack on Spotify a couple times, and that one, that one's actually on a playlist now. That one nice. and a couple others. It's really good. I, it's like I usually, you know, I listen to music pretty sporadically. I basically dive into one artist discography. And I've been listening to Flaming Lips and MF Doom most recently. And so it's like there are a lot of, you know, especially in Flaming Lips, kind of higher concept, maybe not high concept, but kind of like the deeper notions, one stereotypically that we would call deeper notions, thinking about like where uh, life ends and and death begins or the other way around. Um, and this is a bit more clear cut a bit more maybe surface level but definitely a deep analysis of the kinds of fears that you should be having i i guess but also the fears that especially in a very comfortable position from you know your middle class your cultured life that you can see on the horizon but not necessarily feel yeah well and again that goes back to uh I mean, the flaming lips are definitely a little tough to get into for some people, and I can understand why. It goes back to what I was talking about with the Bo Burnham's thing is uh, most of the stuff on that special are a little more easily digestible. So even if you're not a well-educated – like a, a uh, well-educated is the wrong term. Um, if you're not a deeply introspective like this person who's been thinking about this shit for a long time, you can still absorb a lot of those messages out of it uh, as, a, as a newcomer to leftist theory. Yeah, totally. I also – I love uh... – just as we're, I think we're winding down. I love the Truman Show ending. 
Oh yeah, that where he just suddenly he's uh, trying to he walks outside and it uh, it's goes full sitcom on him almost. Right, everybody's been watching him all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which and is... he even references that in one of his songs where he's like, "How about ne- uh, in the closing song, Goodbye?" He says, "How about uh, maybe next time I sit on the couch and watch you," <laughs> which is hilarious. But he also references in that same song there at the end when he's tying things together and he hits motifs from like three different songs. He he mentions uh, he's looking for an excuse to go back inside uh, that by the end of our quarantine, by the end of our total separation from each other, by the end of our, Well, I mean, for us who were forced to or had to or, you know didn't have to get stuck going to work and being exposed like like you phil uh like that kind of total separation from the rest of humanity that I, I, it was like depressing as fuck but in a way it was easier you know in a way it was easier especially when we're coming towards what seems to be the approaching end of the world as we know it yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, it's definitely hard to. He addresses this. It's very hard to laugh in times like these. You're really joking at a time like this, you know. Yeah, it's uh, worth noting that yeah, the special it finds ways to bring levity into the darkest of moments, and I think that that in and of itself is impressive. Yeah, and I have to say, like, very well made. Absolutely. Oh yeah, you can tell. Like, you can tell it's a vision, not like it. It is one guy putting together what one he guy, wanted to make. His vision coming together. Over many hours of struggle and light design and writing, obviously, but also editing over and over and over. And you see all of that. Um, I mean, he, he says really early on, it's like there aren't going to be very smooth transit and then it cuts. Yeah, but cuts right, yeah. but I, he honestly did make them very smooth. He also he made these things flow in a yeah, way felt... that, you know, at times it was jarring, but that was the point. And that's a mm-hmm. good that's a good editor. Yeah, it kept you invested in the moment, and uh, and I mean, I did like just in general. You can see the chronology of it based on his facial hair too, because yeah, he, he did not shave or uh, do any facial. He didn't do any facial hair maintenance during the entire filming of the special. Heck of a commitment. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, unless there's any other points you want to make, um, no, I think that's good. Then we'll just say uh, our our recommendation nine point. I give it a nine point five out of ten. Yeah, definitely watch. I don't know how I could put it any less than an eight. Yeah, and that's coming from Kyle, who's a cynic about most media. So I'm a cynic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, definitely, definitely well worth it. Uh, watch inside this official unsociablest seal of approval. Stamp. Stamp. So yeah, if you guys like this review format, I'm sure that all twelve of you will either let us know or probably won't get in touch with us. Whatever, yeah. we'll figure it out. Well, you know. um, but yeah, we will. We'll. we'll Interspersed these with watch-alongs every now and then. Maybe eventually down the line we'll have a review and a watch-along and maybe its own separate news blast so we do something every week. Yeah, because we've been a little uh, – we've been putting things in – because we've been in this two-week schedule, we've been putting a lot of things at the end of the watch-along. So to, to kind of streamline that a bit, we're going to break these up a bit. Yeah, but for now, we're going to stick to the format we have. And by that, we will – this is officially the end of the review and the start of the news blast. <laughs> How about the ocean being on fire, eh? Ooh, the ocean is on fire. It's uh, as a Marvel movie brought to real life. Straight up, I did see that, and I was thinking, that's that's from a an animation studio, right? That's from Pixar, or not Pixar? That's from like Disney. That's a Marvel, yeah. See, no, and uh, unfortunately, no. I've talked to people 
uh, some lib people in my family who are like, well, you know, but the, there's oil spills and that stuff just happens. You know, that's been happening for a while now. Like this is like, oh, this is normal. It's fine. The, the yeah, idea that, that might we can be the see problem, the ocean guys. on fire. Yeah, the idea that we can the see problem. the ocean on fire and still just excuse it. The idea that because you it was happening when you were born is the way that it will always be happening is stupid because, you know, whenever your parents was, were born in 1960 or 1950, it, it, fuck them. Like, that, there was a lot of dumb shit happening. They still hadn't gotten rid of leaded gasoline. You want us to keep giving people brain damage so that because it's just that been that way, we just accept it, it's normal? You know, it's not... We need to stop drilling. That's the first thing. Yeah, that would no, do it. We, fossil you know, fuel needs to be done. Like, if we ever want, needs if to we ever want to save this planet, it just needs to be done. Massively curtailed. I keep talking to. I, I've spoken with people. He's like, "Well, you don't get anything like uh, the energy density of fossil fuel and other things like uh, solar panels." And I'm like, "That's fine because yeah, honestly, we have to, have less, we we have to use too less energy. Much fucking energy. I'm not saying like individuals like you or me." Us oh yeah, I mean, I'm, don't get wrong. I have a gaming computer. It uses more than theoretically is ideal for a lower class person. But I'd say my energy consumption per day is one. What do you think? Fifty billionth of what uh, Nestle uses? Oh, significantly. Yeah, that's the <laughs> issue. The issue is that for whatever reason, we need to. Well, I know for the reason. The reason is so that they can continue to make up profits. Is that they will take giant tankers and send them around the world expending massive and massive amounts of fossil fuel energy so that they can get slightly cheaper shirts to assholes who want to go to H&M in America instead of paying for a train to take that you know from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia where or wherever inside of a country in a less intensive transportation network but instead we need to chase small quarterly improvements on profit so we just keep putting more and more effort into the global supply chain which we saw in this pandemic had been so fucking it's incredibly well, vulnerable it continues to be yeah it continues to be during the pandemic we've had fucking uh the evergreen or whatever that giant boat was also stuck in the fucking suez canal popping off like four billion dollars an hour or whatever it was and awesome fuck them fuck that because the idea that you should be doing that in the first place this is a as michael parenti called it is he says that capitalism is a rational system for irrational ends it's a system that has its logic, a logic that is accumulation, a logic that is constantly chasing the bottom dollar. But those ends are ultimately irrational because the end of capitalism is not the support of a human population. It is the accumulation and domination of uh, wealth and human population. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if you saw recently, and they're bragging about it. I don't know if you saw recently in that Forbes, uh, there was a Forbes article that was talking about Jeffrey Bezos has made another $3.4 billion in the last three weeks. Why would they? Like, yeah, look, look how impressive that is. Like, he was on that grind, he clearly put in his work. Clearly putting in his work, asking his uh, employees to view work-life balance as more of a circle. It's like, <laughs> join me on the surf in the serfdom, like join me in the fucking uh, plantation. Just join the, join the Amazon Plus li or Amazon Prime life. Yeah, and you can hop in your suicide booth now. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, he, I, he, I, and I guarantee you that it, we are we're right on the verge of the full-on supervillain, just like oh yeah, people should just have to live at their jobs, and that's okay. 
Yeah, I mean, that's been the, that's one of the things that people have been hypothesizing is that, so in, in kind of the orthodox Marxist tradition, we've come from prehistoric humans in a hunter-gatherer society through the Neolithic revolution into the farming societies, which created hierarchies and classes. And then those classes eventually developed into the slaveholding class mode of production of Rome, which collapsed into feudalism. And we're seeing what essentially is going to be a mirror image to that, is that these large central, well, you know, increasingly decentralized wealth holders are going to eventually collapse into a neo-feudal state, one in which the global capitalist empire no longer has any kind of, at least no structural control over, ones that they may pledge allegiance to, but who have essentially fiefdoms. You know, when uh, Rome began to fall, it began to fall mostly by way of the edges kind of returning to uh, Italy, the edges kind of breaking off into small fiefdoms that they knew that instead of sending their taxes to Rome, who may or may not be able to fix the roads, they could send their taxes to their local lord who would like sort of fix the roads. Yeah, so the marginalized would, the marginalized decided to step away from their own government and focus on their immediate local, overlords. Local, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's a funny system because that kind of eventually leads to a, a feudal world where generally those people hate their feudal overlords because they are so worthless and they are so corrupt and they look towards those ancient regimes or their those kind not ancient regimes so much because they weren't super educated but the the grander power vested in either a religious figure or a grand king something that they could look beyond and we're right back on that verge i mean look at most private landowners most landlords most building like pro, uh, business building owners it's to the point where they can be the most worthless people and still make massive profit margins yes yes uh, of course because all i mean even even adam smith the guy who wrote wealth of nations who's supposedly the fucking father of capital modern capitalism as a theory he fucking hated landlords he saw them as fucking parasites and that's what they are it's parasites i mean that's all they do is and that's all anybody does anymore in capital in this kind of ultra financed capitalist state it's rent seeking it's all just rent seeking mm -hmm. and you're and all you can do is just try to get your cut of the profits they're making for doing nothing by doing a lot more than nothing yeah i mean i, I fucking use adobe shit and all they do is rent seek now like they don't they don't put out new products at least not ones that work very well I mean that's that's true of a lot of enterprises nowadays. I mean, which what I love. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I use Steam all the time because it's very affordable and there's a huge variety of choices. But when was the last time the Valve company put out a game? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like they don't know how to count past two. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> you know, that uh, there is no third game in any Valve set series. And uh, I think the last new game they released was like, was it Portal Two? Was it the last new Valve original? Yeah, Shit. and that was what, like two thousand and fucking ten. Let me check here. There might be. There might have been one since then, but 
Either way, the Steam at this at this point, Steam is literally a giant landlord service. I mean, unfortunately, so is Epic, the Epic Game Store, and if anything, they're even worse because the uh, company that owns them is worth that many more billions, and that's one. Sadly, uh, one of my rules for judging how evil you are is how many billions are you worth. <laughs> oh no, okay. The uh, they did release two games on the VR in 2020 on, oh. on the new on the headsets, but other than that, the last thing they released was yeah, Portal 2 in 2010. Yeah. 2000. Sorry, 2007, not 2010. Jesus God. Even earlier. Yeah, but, but other than that, yeah, they've they've not really uh, they released two VR games on the VR headset that are kind of like follow ups uh, to two different little Half Life offshoots, little offshoot plots, which are actually and apparently both of those have been received pretty well, showing <laughs> that Valve still has the chops if they ever want to put in the time. But yeah, they've released two games in the last decade. Right. the The thing that keeps capitalism going as the rate of profit continues to fall is, and while I say that, you know, we. We look at corporate profits and we look at uh, billionaires and see their their incomes, their net worths massively increasing. That does not mean that the rate of profit is not falling, right? The profit, the the things that you can extract are being limited by the availability of variable capital and by the availability of new technologies to open up the, the basically to perpetuate the mode of production. Yeah, and I mean, while and I think while this while profits while globally speaking, profit continues to drop and billionaires continue to make more. The only way they can rectify that in their rich asshole brains is well, then let's just keep making the minimum wage worth less and less. Yeah, which is why it's so. Um, I, rather than you can you can future scale like boomers, their minimum wage is now twenty seven dollars. But I like to like retro scale the other way instead and say our minimum wage is the equivalent of about forty eight cents. Yeah, yeah. How how would you how would you have done with forty eight cents an hour back in nineteen seventy? Yeah, probably not great. I don't know. It's 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 tough to uh. I don't know. It's just tough to fathom how we can keep having less and less money, and the people just have to keep being okay with that. And so many people are. That's the sad thing, which is why we have Republicans and most staunch Democrats Democrats too. Actually, most all about. (laughs) You know, we are all liberal subjects. We all live in the time of liberal domination of bourgeois di- dictatorship and because of that our our thinking is in ways molded towards those ends towards the the ends of the dominant system uh so people you know it's as frustrating as it can be but class consciousness and 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 an understanding of how the world is structured by power is an uphill battle for a lot of people, especially in the imperial core. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to see just how uh, just how much the tides are against the working class, the people who are actually struggling with these things, um, who are, have been, had misinformation shoved down their throats every day, uh, you have to look no further than our current president, who told ExxonMobil execs, oh yeah, don't worry, the carbon tax isn't passing. Yeah, like, yeah, Jesus Christ. While the while the ocean's on fire, he's just like, oh yeah, no, don't worry, it's not going to happen. I mean, I would love for it to happen. I'm the good guy, but it's just not going to. Nothing will fundamentally change. The only I mean, the, is the, that was the most honest up. part of his platform, and yeah. he has stood by that every day. <laughs> yep, yep. Nothing will fundamentally change, which essentially means that in seven years' time, uh, everything will change forever. Most progressive president ever. Most progressive president ever. He gave you. F- Two thousand dollars. God damn it! It's two thousand. I don't care yeah. what one four zero zero means. It's two thousand dollars. That number equals two thousand, Kyle. That's how numbers work. I fucking hate it. I just. Yep. 
And the 600 that Trump gave us, that didn't belong to him. He could no, take that, that wasn't away. Trump's. Take that away from him. God, and it's so incredibly frustrating that they. And they, that, honestly, that other 1400 people like like oh well, Biden specifically got us that. Trump would have gotten that same money to us, and not not out of any love for his people or anything like that, just because it was a fucking obvious move. I mean, yeah, the patronage that comes with it is what Trump would be after. And mm-hmm. that's what I don't we're think headed towards. I, I'm not trying to say I'm not system. trying to say that Trump is not worse than Biden because he is. The, he the just he's a, he's, I, he's a louder brand of evil. I I would say honestly, for people in Guantanamo Bay, for people in Syria, for people in Haiti, for the people in Guatemala and Honduras, I think that they are. If anything, Biden might be worse. So I will say, yeah, Biden is far more likely to start. Biden is far more likely to start new wars. He's already started two new conflicts. Yep, they aren't escalated to wars yet, but. He might as well have. Yeah. We are already there. We're the the center of global capital, and we control the world's progression, and we are progressing. There's a reason we have more military bases than every other country added together. Yeah, we're progressing towards annihilation. That's the thing, is that all of this is ultimately going to end probably in fire and pain well, and i think honestly i think there's a crazy amount of it, weirdly it's probably some truth to the idea that a lot of the billionaires out there their goal is i want to see the end of the world and i want to be in first place when it happens huh, yeah or at <laughs> least have a stupid fucking when is bezos gonna blow himself up on that rocket I sh- it would be nice, but it- I don't think it's gonna happen he'll come home that? safe and sound Can we do that please uh yeah this it's, it's it's pure showmanship. Just it's at this point, it's literally just fuck you. Look how much I've got mine. Right, I've gotten mine so for, much that I can uh, for a fraction of what Elon Musk and Bezos have spent on their stupid pet projects of making dick-shaped robots to send into space. They could have solved world hunger. They could have solved houselessness. Done a lot. Yeah, and the thing is, is that again, you can't beat capitalism with capitalism. It's all going to be turned towards these accumulative ends, ones yeah. that will ultimately, if if it's a snake eating its own tail, eventually it eats its head too. Um, mm, well, and they won't be all the way safe, but they will take us all down with them. Yeah, and I definitely try to bring up that uh, at the end of the day, that's why the compare when I whenever I talk to my family members about the compare, yes, the comparative there is a comparative less evil maybe from the Democrats on a surface level, but at the end of the day. For You're whom? not getting any less evil. For whom? Yeah, it's, like, what it's, is it? What? Who, what's the comparative less evil? It's performative less evil. It's not actually less evil in a practical Ronald sense. Reagan is a horrible, horrific person, but the person who ultimately uh, changed welfare as we know it was Clinton. Bush may have started the war in Iraq, but— Biden the person who has the most—the and... person who has the highest death count, count during the presidency right. of the war of Iraq is Obama. Right, Obama still prosecuted the war that he said he didn't want. He, he just if if it had come down to him being the one vote in the Senate that would send us to war, he would have voted for it. There's and that's the thing with Democrats, and I've been trying to bring this to my family is even when whenever they finally find a way to get in charge, and be like, oh well, now we can theoretically do all the good things we want to. Suddenly, there's just a couple rogue Democrats. Oh look, these are the bad apples. What can you oh, do? Oh no, cinema. Oh no, mansion. Oh no, uh, Susan Collins was going to be on our side this time. And then you hear, oh, well, we just need to get that 60% ratio in the Senate. If we were up 60 to 40 Democrats to Republicans, suddenly there'd be a dozen bad apple Democrats. Right. Oh, look. You'd have Joe Lieberman again. It was the same thing in 
2008. They did have that. They had a supermajority, and what did they do with it? They had all. They made, fucking... the, they made the shittiest version of Medicare for all that has ever existed in the history of ca- uh, m- medical programs. Yeah, they've made it so that premiums can continue to rise. They keep trying to get me to join onto this fucking shit because they. Oh, like, uh, yeah, say, oh look, say... the American Rescue Act is going to make you all better. Everything's going to be cool. Look at these low premiums. It's the exact same shit that they do with like fucking payday lending. They do the same mm-hmm. shit where they're like, "Oh, here, look how low these rates are for right now." And then a and year then from now, months, it's going to jack up. <laughs> yeah, it's still rising. I'm not going to fucking lock myself into some fucking contract where I can pay you $700 a fucking month to get one fucking uh, appointment with a doctor a year. No. Yeah. And that's that, – whenever, whenever I hear people praising Obamacare, it's like this, well, it was it's better than what we had. It's like, no, it, it really fucking wasn't. All that it, it did just, was give people – you know, make people with preexisting conditions have to be accepted. We should have that, but that is that is not a world-saving change. One and only good thing of that, exclusively. Medicare, the only thing that – all right, never mind. There are two good things. There was uh, the pre-existing condition. They eliminated that exemption, and then they also expanded Medicare and Medicaid, the actual uh, single-payer programs, the actual programs that people need. That's the thing that actually helped anyone. Yep. The ACA is otherwise uh, just an insurance third-party giveaway. Yep. It's uh, it's been it's been pretty abysmal just how much that's been praised and how Biden's made that a staple of well, I'm going to bring it back and make it better than ever for the insurance companies. <laughs> that's the subtext yeah, that he hasn't the, yet said out loud, but may as well have. Right for the guys at um X on Exxon's board who are also on Blue Cross Blue Shield's board who are also on Raytheon's board who are also his uh fucking cabinet member all of those guys he's gonna make things a lot better for yeah so I mean uh I guess I'll just uh, with the ocean being on fire with people having no opportunity to take care of their bodies or their environments uh I'll just uh add this quote from the special we were just talking about. You say the ocean's rising like I give a shit. You say the whole world's ending on it already there. You're not gonna slow it, heaven knows you try. Got it good, now get inside. We're going to go. Anyways, you should watch especially special. Everything that we've said is less. Everything we've said about it is not as good as just absorbing it. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> Um, I might watch it again, honestly. Maybe it's, today. It's a wor- maybe tomorrow. Did Lucy watch it with you? No, she was at work. You should try to watch it with Lucy. I think That's she'd what enjoy I'm it. Yeah. I, I, I should, Jackie, Jackie thought it was a little too depressing for her, but that's okay. No, it certainly isn't exactly an. an it's not an uplifting <laughs> piece. Yeah. Not always, no. But it's very. It's still. I, I would argue it's one of the best art pieces to come out of this. Certainly since twenty, since we flipped over to the Democratic presidency. Yes, definitely. It's the best thing to come out in that era. Culture has been pretty trash, and I think this guy, by not just referencing how culture is trash, but by offering, he actually offers like perspectives and he's so, offering, not really solutions per se, but he's offering you know. a singular perspective, a one one man's context in his quest for meaning, and he follows through on. A project that obviously fucking like took him fucking forever and was tough, and that's something that I think is on its on its in its intrinsic level. I think that's a good thing, an interesting thing. But to see it come together and 
see one person's vision is something so rare these days, at least in in premiere media. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's good to see. Yeah, you actually feel like you know how Bo, where Bo stands by the end of it, which is yeah. rare because usually in these specials you don't know anything more about them than but yeah. they made a bunch of jokes. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, watch inside. Try not to burst into flames on the hottest summer in history. Hooray! Don't worry. Next next summer will be hot. Yeah, the coolest summer. The coolest summer in the next fifty years. Right. This is the hottest summer on record. It's the coolest summer of the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah. I guess the best you can try to do is keep living with love and solidarity. Love and solidarity, y'all. Come on, Jeffrey, you can do it. Pave the way, put your back into it. Tell us why, show us how. Look at where you came from, look at you now. Zuckerberg and Gates and Buffett. Amateurs can fucking suck it. Fuck their wives, drink their blood. Come on, Jeff, get em! Late talk. Give me a break.